Clear prop. Star 73 is Cherokee, number two, following twin traffic, three mile final. There's something One trailer, Bravo, Rakesford, and runway 25, going uh, four mile final. This is Behind the Prop with United Flight Systems owner and licensed pilot Bobby Doss and his co host, major airline captain and designated pilot examiner Wally Mulhern. Now, let's go Behind the Prop. What's up, Wally? Hey, Bobby, how are you? I'm fantastic. This week we have a guest, kind of a surprise guest, if nothing else. She didn't know she was going to be on the show 24 hours ago, and she is joining us. It is one of our assistant chiefs at the flight school here. Her name is Alice Calzetta. She's a major airline pilot and an instructor for that airline and has a lot to share with us today about instruction, learning, becoming a better pilot. We're just going to talk and share stories. Welcome to the show, Alice. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming. So yesterday, Wally and I decided we were going to record, and at the same time, Alice and I were exchanging emails, and I said, hey, guess what? Tomorrow, you're going to be on the show. And she's like, I'm not ex- I'm not a, a guest for your show, and she is an avid listener, she says, but uh, we really have, I think you have a lot to share, I think, from both the pathway that you got to where you're at today. Every new person in aviation is wondering what that path looks like, so we'll talk a little bit about that today. And then... You've kind of been back in GA for about 14 months or so now. And um, when was the last GA flight you took? About two hours ago. There you go. And so we're going to talk about that flight as well. So um, if you would, I guess, give the listeners a little bit of background or introduction to your aviation career and then uh, maybe how you stumbled upon becoming an assistant chief here. And I'll add questions if you don't talk about it all. All right. Well, I would say I'm not interesting enough to be on the podcast, but you politely changed it around to it's a traditional path to getting to where I am now. Um, I did all of my flight training in college, went to the University of Illinois and got all my licenses while getting a business degree. Once I finished college, I flight instructed for three years and loved doing that and really enjoyed teaching. You don't have to give away the years and things, but how many hours did you have to flight train back then to get on with a regional or an airline? Um, Which wasn't like today, I'm assuming. Right. It was about 2,000 hours before I got hired at the airlines. Um, which I think was a normal amount then. Um, while I was flight instructing, there were some people that had five, six, seven thousand hours, wow. and it was just stagnant time in the industry. And so you flight instructed for a very long time. Um, I was fortunate enough to get out at two thousand hours. I shouldn't say get out. I really did enjoy it. But I went to ExpressJet Airlines for five and a half years. Um, flew there and also taught. Uh, CRM, Crew Resource Management. And for those that aren't from Houston, we all in Houston know who Word Express Jet is. It would be a regional airline, much like what we see today in Commute Air, Envoy, any of the major airlines, smaller regional airlines, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and after five and a half years there, I got hired by a major airline um, and was very excited to get hired, but then six months later got hired by my dream major airline. Mm. And so I did switch from one to another, which is not very common. I was going to say, I thought that was unheard of or not. You just don't do that. Yeah. I always recommend if you have a, a goal airline, once you get to any of the majors, they like to poach from the others. There you go. And that's happening a lot now. Um, so currently flying at a major airline and am a 737 SIM instructor. Awesome. So still teaching. 
Yes, I do really enjoy teaching. And I got back into general aviation, uh, came to this flight school to rent. Um, I'd been flying at the airlines for a little over a decade and enjoy it and love doing it, but also just miss general aviation and wanted to get back into it. And so what about general aviation did you miss? I mean, most people listening, and I would say everybody that comes to this fly school is just envious of the two of y'all. Y'all get to fly Big Ten, and you get to go all over the world, right? Why come back and fly something so small and without icing equipment? (laughs) I think when we all get into aviation, we all get the aviation bug, and we love, we have a passion for aviation. And as you go on this traditional trajectory of a career, it loses a little bit of the glamour. I love my job. It is my dream job, and I love every moment of it. But it's also flying from point A to point B a whole lot. And I really enjoy introducing people to aviation, um, doing their first flight, a discovery flight, seeing the smile on someone's face when they take off for the first time. Uh, That you don't get with an airline job. Um, We're all professionals, and we've done it for thousands of hours. So I wanted to get back into teaching primary training and giving back to the community. So I was, I was involved, but I remember watching you get back from a standpoint of cracking some books and relearning some regulations. And Wally's got this huge advantage of asking all the regulation questions for all the check rides. He kind of stays top of mind for him, but how hard was it to go over a decade without doing the instruction and knowing what the long cross country for a private student had to be, et cetera, to, to getting ready to get back in the seat again. It was huge. And that was the biggest reason that I didn't get back into it for so long because once I went to the airlines, I was studying so much to make sure I was proficient in the airplane and procedures and general aviation knowledge went to the back burner. And once it goes on the back burner long enough, you lose all of that knowledge. I do have to say it came back. It comes back pretty quickly. Um, but I still had to see all the information again and review all the information again. And there was a lot to review. <laughs> Those books are big. They are. They're big. So once I read something, there's the aha moment of, oh, yeah, I did at one point know that. But it's taken a while for me to review everything and have it all come back. Um, I've done rusty pilot courses and online courses to review sectional knowledge and symbols and all kinds of stuff. And it has come back for the most part. (laughs) I don't think I know now what I did when I was actively flight instructing. I think, was I, was I on your second flight back? Like, I mean, you might've flown other places and other things, but you flew with an instructor once and then we talked about possibly helping and volunteering and making better students at this flight school. And you sillyly agreed to that challenge. Uh, And the next thing was we went to fly because you had never flown through what we here in Houston call the corridor. uh, And you wanted to fly the corridor, which is for those of you listening around the world, think Houston's a really big city. There's this one little strip of airspace where GA aircraft can fly and get really close to downtown and have a great view of everything going on downtown. And we went to Galveston, which is, you don't think there's a beach that close to us, but it's 25, 30 minutes away. Yeah, it was a beautiful Um, flight. And I, she knew how to fly the plane, people, I can assure you. But the 
but that I can remember that day you were like, oh, this and pushing buttons. And there was a lot of excitement in your face about everything we were doing and landing in Galveston. It was near perfect. And you were not <laughs> thinking it was near perfect, but it was um, not. what was the flying hard or just the book stuff hard? When you I came think back? the book stuff, because I want to be as proficient as I was when I was instructing regularly. And I hold myself to that standard and would like to get there and, um, I think the book stuff is more of a hurdle. Right. I remember when we did that flight and you were amazed that I didn't want to turn the autopilot on because I actually wanted to fly the airplane. <laughs> um, well, I, that makes sense now because I got to fly a jet recently and the guy says, you you want to hand fly it? And I was like, don't ask again. Just let me hand fly it. So I get that. I understand yeah. though. But it's, it, it's, it's still a passion. You could see it and sense it when you flew that, that it was not, it was more than just, I want to fly these small planes again. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a, it's something that's built into us. And, and Wally, that, you talk about it all the time. GA is core to your soul. It's not, it's not just flying. It's general aviation and teaching, teaching young people how to be better pilots and then making sure that you're touching aviation, even like through this podcast. It's yeah. not something yeah. I jokingly say we never have made a penny on this and we spent a few bucks. If anything, this is, this is raw fun for us. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of times when, when we're walking out to an airplane on a check ride, a lot of times the applicant will say, in fact, today, um, I, I did a, a check ride this morning and as we were walking out to the airplane, the applicant said, Oh boy, it's a great day to fly. I mean, the weather's beautiful today here in Houston, and um, and I answered him or I commented that I whenever someone says that to me, my comment is every day is a good day to fly. Yes, <laughs> you know that's kind of the way I feel. Bad weather, good weather. I, I just um, it, it's just um, it's to to get to fly, to get to fly, and and that's what I tell people is that I'm very blessed to get to do this yeah and if you're listening to this and you happen to be an instructor or someone who gets to fly on a regular basis no matter what that is whether you own your own plane you have a friend with a plane i think the most valuable thing we can do as aviators is remember what it's like to not get to fly right so i'm i was 42 ish years old when i took my first flight and uh that was because my wife wouldn't let me fly. And once I got to fly, it was amazing. I couldn't believe how much fun it was. And obviously have come a long way in six years. But we around here sometimes get complacent to the fact that we can just jump in a plane and run to an avionics shop 20 miles away, land at the airport, swap radios, fly back. And that's like amazing. People would do a lot to get to do that. You said you wanted to see that look on people's faces. And I know now that both of y'all have flown today and I haven't got to fly today. So now I'm a little jealous, but <laughs> you got to take someone, a friend of ours up for the very first time, give someone a discovery flight that didn't know it was coming. And that had to be fun. It was amazing. And that's a hundred percent the reason why I got back into it and just seeing her face and the smile from ear to ear when she found out that we were going flying today is priceless. That was really cool. And then like it and to sit in the room and, we kind of surprised her and said, hey, you're going to get to go fly today. And she first it seemed like she didn't believe us. Like, no, really? I can go fly today? And that's it. That's what it's like to not get to go fly every day. And then to get to fly, it's like a switch went off. And yeah. she was very excited, a little nervous, very excited. Um, but they don't, I just don't think people think it's real. Like, you can go fly. 
if you have the capabilities, meaning aircraft and avgas. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about this whole industry is we all at some point had that passion for flying, that bug for flying, and we love doing it. My brother is an accountant. I can't imagine he wakes up every morning and says, I really want to fill out an Excel spreadsheet. It's just not not. the same. Not the same Excel spreadsheet. Oh, (laughs) month after month after month. Exactly. And I I do. I say this all the time. I I left a career in tech sales to do this. And still people say, "Why, why are you doing what you're doing? And there is this level of passion. There's a family aspect to my decision and some other stuff. But, you know, I tell people all the time, there's very rarely a day around here where everyone's not just smiling. Like, if you come to a flight school, even if you're a DPE doing your two and second and a half check for the day, you're still probably fairly excited about coming to the flight school. I am. Yeah. I am. Uh, you know, six, seven hundred check rides into this, I still, I get excited because I get to be a part of somebody's, a, a, a life-defining event in somebody's life. Yeah, and, no one uh, forgets it. I, I don't. I don't take that lightly. I was I was just flipping through uh, social media to look for something because earlier this morning uh, a feed p- popped up on my social media and it said five year it was five years ago I had given an airplane ride to a young lady and her mother and sister went with us in in our one seventy two and um, that young lady is now a a CFI double I MEI at a flight school up in in Waco and uh, just to know that that. I, I got to be a part of that. And I don't say I, I was the cause of it, but I, I got to be a part of seeing her and, and just seeing the her face in, in the pictures. I mean, she's she's grinning from ear to ear. And um, it's it's really nice to be able to do that. And when I when I do that, when I give rides to people, I always tell them, I, I say, I'm, I'm not giving this to you. There is a cost to it. And the cost is that you've got to do this to somebody, you know, so many years down the road. Yeah, it's the pay it forward mechanism, right? Right. And it really works. So do you still know this person? Is she looking for another job? Would she like to work at the best flight school in Texas? I'm always <laughs> recruiting and hiring, Wally. Okay. Well, I'll, I will reach we'll out take, to her. We'll take that offline. Uh, I, I, as Alice knows, when I see talent, I chase talent. So when Alice came in for a flight, you came in and did your two hours with an instructor and planned to come back. This was around the holidays just over a year ago. Um, I don't remember exactly where I yelled your name or hey you, but we were in the parking lot talking for quite a bit, right? And that was my truly ad hoc pitch to say, I heard major airline in the lobby and I don't have anything to do for a little while. And I said, well, I'm always recruiting. I'm always looking. And I ran outside and I don't remember what happened, but maybe you have a little perspective on this crazy guy. Yeah, what, but- what was it like? The crazy guy followed me outside and talked about the flight school, and it went from, would you like to do more? Would you like to be involved? Will you be the assistant chief pilot? There you go. Pretty quick. So, I mean, I, obviously, there's not too many um, men or women in aviation that are that have some free time on their hands. You were in a unique situation where you had a little bit of availability to help, and um we, we came and kind of came up with a plan to give you the goods of what you were looking for out of general aviation and giving you the ability to touch not just our flight instructor team and, and the staff members, but really the students, right? From, from Brandy today on her first flight ever to many, hopefully many people that you'll get to do stage checks for and, and be able to pass your aviation bug along. 
but why why did you choose to do it? You don't have to do this. What was what was in your mind, and and why would you take this kind of a task on? Um, I think the biggest part is wanting to give back, wanting to get back into general aviation. Like we talked about, it was a big hurdle to get proficient again and regain all the knowledge that I lost. Um, and I think it was wanting to just give back to the next generation of pilots. Is training today the same as it was when you were in college? Like, are we all doing the same stuff? The electronic flight bag has changed the world. <laughs> Seeing traffic has changed oh the world. Gosh. Thank God we can see traffic now. Yeah. Without traffic, I would be nervous. But I, it, I, I guess my bigger quote, there, there were some changes, PTS, ACS, whatever. But the maneuvers are the same. Right. The, the learning weather is the same. Airspace mm-hmm. might be different numbers or letters, but it's still the same. I mean, I'm not that old. Well, <laughs> it's I know. still the same letters. Same letters. Okay. I was trying to disguise your age. Um, but I'm the, that old. I'm that old. I remember a group one and a group two TCA. Okay. Yeah. I'm not that old. The, I think the bigger question that I'm, I'm seeking to understand is if we're still doing it the same, do you see that there's still opportunity for improvement? Like what we're doing here, what you're helping do with curriculum and, and all of the more professional, even even though it'd be part sixty one, I just want to learn to fly for fun. That that's got to be hopefully appealing to someone like you that we're going to make a change for the greater good of aviation too. Absolutely, and that's a huge part of why I accepted your job offer. Is you want to make the best flight school in Texas or in the world? <laughs> and I think there's so much that's improving at the school all the time. Since I started training, like you said, the maneuvers haven't changed, but even PTS going from ACS and we talk about risk management, that's huge. And now coming back into flight instructing, there's so much that I view each lesson from, I guess, a bigger picture than when Mm -hmm. I was a 200, 300 hour flight instructor, um, that I think... It's nice that the FAA has incorporated that now. It's part of each lesson and syllabus. And I think the more that we incorporate the big picture and risk management, like we do in the airlines, it's just prepping students for their future. Yeah, and I think it's very valuable for this school to have someone who, you know, Wally's Wally's been around for a long time. Other DPs, other other airline pilots are are been helping the school, but someone who teaches at a, a major airline to come in here and share their knowledge with other teachers that are teaching GA pilots who have 10, 20, 40, 100 hours that there is this greater good out there that I I I, I still am shocked we let kids solo these aircraft um, because they don't know what they don't know yet. And there's so much to continue to learn that it we don't even scratch the surface until we're halfway through the instrument rating. And those people only have 100 hours of flight time. And they think they know it all at that point, right? So yeah. um, I, I think it's extreme. We are extremely lucky as a flight school to have you and your knowledge around ed- educating aviators and the fact that now you're bridging both gaps between professional major airline instruction and GA instruction. Uh, the, the, the CFI team is extremely lucky, but our students are very lucky to have you as well. So, Alice, do you have any scary or, or unusual CFI stories to tell? One that sticks in my mind as if it was yesterday was 
I was flight instructing for a couple of years, and I had a student who was a Nigerian man who was significantly stronger than me. And while just practicing pitch attitudes on one on our third flight, he locked his arms full forward on the yoke. And it lasted probably two, three seconds, and it felt like you mean two the lifetime? Th- you mean yes. a lifetime? <laughs> felt like a few hours, and that was over a decade ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday. So that was one of the things when getting back into general aviation and back into flight instructing. Of, do I really want to do that again? But I think the the benefit of showing someone their first flight and seeing that smile on their first takeoff is well so, worth the risk. So did the did he continue to fly? He became a math major. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> he is not a pilot. All right. Not all of us are cut out for this crazy thing. And so that leads me to think about, we talked in the past that I have this weird tendency to watch a TV show on the Smithsonian Channel called Air Disasters. Why would a pilot ever watch that show other than to learn something? I don't know, but it is intriguing. I still turn it on in the background when I'm working sometimes to listen. Lots of filler content on that show for sure, but... um, I hear you like that show as well. I do. That's mine and my husband's date night usually. Uh, It's a great show. I don't know why we like to watch it, but it has been interesting over the years. You've seen the show evolve from just what one incident caused the accident to really looking at the whole chain of events, the Mm -hmm. whole threat and air management chain and seeing it from a risk management perspective. They've, They've evolved within the show as the industry has evolved. Yeah, the last one I watched, and I'm trying to watch them all in order, kind of, the was the one that was like a somewhere south. I, I don't know where, South America, something like that. And they had a light come on, so they went back to the gate, and they forgot to set their spoilers uh, and their flaps for takeoff. And, of course, it ended in disaster for everybody involved. And it wasn't had nothing to really do with the one missing the checklist item. It had exactly. the hurrying to be on time and all this external pressures and all the things we talk about, even in the GA world, that caused these two very smart pilots to make a mistake. That um, it wasn't again. It wasn't the mistake. It was the all the things leading up to it that made them human and create a, such a disaster for so many people. Yeah, and one thing I like about the show is that it's not about our hours of experience that make us good pilots or not. It's what you do with those hours of experience. Do you have good habits? Do you run the checklist? Do you not rush? You know, what habits do we have and how professional are we? Not just how many flight hours do we have? Yes. Well, that leads me to ask you something that we didn't plan for. So as, as an assistant chief, talking and dealing with a lot of flight instructors and being a flight instructor a decade or so ago, what, what kind of recommendations do you have for flight instructors? What should they be doing that is maybe, you know, I have my own pet peeves and things, but that they should be doing that's easy and free to do that just, just gets overlooked too often that you keep seeing that maybe you saw back when you were doing it and still is a problem today. I think just general professionalism and treating flying a 172 the same as when you're flying a 777 as a captain someday, that the habits that you instill at the very beginning are going to be the habits you're going to have later in life. Um, But it's just time building right now. Yeah, but you're building those habits. And like we talk about law of primacy, what you do first is going to stick. If you do it wrong to begin with, um, and if you don't have good habits... 
obviously you have a lot of career left, um, but you, you, you've shed some light on some good things today. What would you recommend to our listeners, whether they're GA pilots who fly for fun, whether they're young pilots that are working on their private but want to be the next female in aviation at a major airline, what, what kind of recommendations would you make for those people listening today? I think my biggest recommendation would be get involved and give back. There's so many ways to be involved in the aviation industry. I mentioned women in aviation. There's EAA. There's so many organizations to be involved in. And when you have the opportunity, give back and help the next person um, start their career and their journey. And pay it forward, as Wally said. Like, if you get the chance to take someone up, I, I say it all the time. Um, Alice has participated. I don't ever go to Austin without the right seat being full with, with someone in it that can enjoy and participate in that flight. Uh, I have as much fun taking a seasoned veteran as I do. Uh, I took Taylor, who's a new student. She never wants to fly something that's not automated again. But, you know, you get to expose people to something they've never seen before. I think we were talking about it earlier in the show. It's just something that we get to do. And not everyone gets to do it, and it's really fun to share it when we get to share it with someone as well. And the other thing is once you're trying to go to a major airline, I have a lot of friends that are reaching out now trying to get to major airlines and asking for letters of recommendation. And at this point, everyone can fly an airplane. And everyone has the required minimums and the required flight time. They want to see a well-rounded person and someone that you want to sit next to for four days on a trip. No question. Maybe a little extra uh, curricular activities mm-hmm. and um, other volunteering yeah. things. and But just for the right good. reasons, not yes, just to course. put it on the resume. Of course. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll just throw this out there. I, I took a friend of mine for a, a ride about five years ago, probably. We went over to Brenham for a hamburger, and he, he's an airline pilot, good friend of mine. And um, uh, he had not been in a small airplane in years. And um, so one day I said, hey, you want to go get a $100 hamburger? And he goes, oh, I'd love to do that. So he came over. We jumped in the 172. We flew over to Brenham and came back. And um, he's now two airplanes down the road. <laughs> and he jokes with me all the time. He said, you know, that $100 hamburger cost you $100 that day. It cost me many thousands of dollars <laughs> because I got bitten, bitten by, by the bug. bitten by the bug again. And now he's he's given he's the guy out there giving airplane rides now. Yeah, and, and it's so interesting that um, again someone who gets to fly that big jet every day. Th- th- there's a group on this podcast listening who wishes they could be in the jet, and there's a group on listening to this podcast that are probably in that jet wishing they could fly that little plane again. I think the the, the common theme for all of us is we're we're all aviators, and we all want to be in the air more than we want to be on the ground, and that's something that's pretty cool that. Uh, the rest of you that maybe don't get to do it on a daily basis really have the opportunity to do. You just need to seek out a pilot that's willing to pay it forward a little bit for sure. Well, with that, we'll wrap up today's show. As always, fly safe and stay behind the prop. Thanks for checking out the Behind the Prop podcast. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out online at BehindTheProp.com. Behind the Prop is recorded in Houston, Texas. Creator and host is Bobby Doss. Co-host is Wally Mulhern. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not meant to replace actual flight instruction. Thanks for listening and remember, fly safe. Fly safe.